This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk. And of course, you know we're dedicated to helping you succeed, and we call it Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. And we talk about managing risk and investing approaches to help you make money, make your money grow. Now, there's been a rise in scams. You know, scams have been around forever. But there's been a rise in scams since the invention of the Internet. And it's getting worse. And what's interesting <coughs> is Money Magazine reported uh, that it estimated that one in five Americans over the age of 65 are victims of financial abuse. One out of five Americans over 65 years old, 20%. And what do you think the average loss? It's staggering. The average scam loss is to these people. One out of five for people over 65. It's $120,300. That's how much they're scammed. Average, $120,300. So do you feel you're too smart to get scammed, defrauded? One out of ten surveyed didn't believe they'd ever be a victim. Of course, one out of five are. Or maybe you've got a story to tell. Have you been a victim of a scam? A fraud? I have. Many years ago. I have. But it, was, it's a, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, well, I guess it was a scam. It was a real estate deal that uh, went bad because the the uh, the uh, CPA that put me in the deal on the East Coast when I was a younger person, much younger person, didn't know that uh, the real estate was being bolt- built by the mafia. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Cost me uh, over $100,000. We're open for your comments, your questions, any of those. If you have a scam, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to hear anything about investing. Finances, anything money, financial related. 888-99-CHART. Here's a call that came in before today's program. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is John from Atlanta. have a quick question for you. I recently got married uh, two months ago. We're combining our assets, bank accounts, everything. And uh, my wife has some student loans, and I have most of the assets. But anyway, I was really checking in to see what is the average net worth of an individual that's my age that's about 33 years old uh, currently i have 475,000 in assets and about 300,000 in liabilities that's everything we made a spreadsheet and put it all on a, on a sheet of paper just to see where we're at and i was just kind of curious so uh, where that stacks up versus everyone else or if that's even something you can look at for everyone thank you well, I don't have the, that statistic at, the, at your age on my fingertips, but I do know that the average retiree, retiree uh, at 65, has less than $100,000 saved for retirement, 65-year-old. So in that case, you're way ahead. But, you know, what, what should you have at, age, at your age? 
You should have at least a few hundred, a couple three hundred thousand dollars. That's what I think you should have. Most people do not have it. Most people may have maybe you know a fifty thousand in their four hundred one k at work, maybe a little bit more, and that's about it. So, but you don't, you can't be most people. If you're listening to this show, you don't, you're not going to be most people. You need to start socking away money fast, okay? Because you don't want to be at age 55 and say, gee, I got to start saving a lot more money because I didn't do it when I was younger. It's much easier to do it when you're younger. The money grows much easier, much faster because you have a long time to have that money grow. So start pumping money into your savings and your 401k, your IRA, whatever. Both you and your wife doing it. Not just you, too. Both of you. Okay? 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Financial abuse. Scams. We're talking about that. All too often are, are against senior citizens over the age of 65, according to Money Magazine. Financial abuse can be in the form of a scam or it can also be just perpetuated by family or friends who just take money or siphon money from the older loved ones. Just take it. That's very common. Very common. Wells Fargo has reported that nearly half the older Americans surveyed recently by the bank say they know someone who had been a victim of a scam. And yet, despite the prevalence of these scams and financial fraud cases, seniors are in denial about their personal vulnerability. Only one in ten think that they are. They, only one in ten older Americans admit that they have felt uh, successful, that they feel like they could get scammed. Most people don't believe that. They don't. They're not going to get abused. And I hate to say it, but my father-in-law is a perfect, perfect victim. Perfect victim. If he had any money, he, he would lose it to a scam artist, and he wouldn't know it. And he he would one day just oh, it's gone. He just clueless. So how best to raise the awareness? How do we do that? I, I, it's very difficult. Experts point out that a majority of scam cases could be avoided if families were communicating. Problem is, sometimes the older generation won't communicate with the younger generation. If people were talking to their children, if the children, that is the young adults, were talking to their parents or grandparents, I know it's awkward and it's tough, and I've I've come across this personally in my own life, so I know, I know. But you still got to do it. You know, maybe you could trade information with your older parents. Tell them first about your financial situation, and maybe then you can ask them about theirs because you're sharing. You're just sharing. Don't make it about, you know, you're too old and you can't take care of yourself. You start saying stuff like that. It's not going to work. Not going to work. So maybe open up about your own personal finances, and then, especially if you're a son or a daughter, you're telling your parents, what, you know, what's the big deal? Anyways, some of the other topics I have to talk about today. Okay, we're going to talk about you can be. Uh, should you buy gold? That's going to be one of them. Should gold is gold a smart investment? That's going to be one of our. That's going to be our main talking point. I also want to talk about why early retirement is is all it's cracked up to be. You know, everybody complains that retiring early is, you know, that's not good or, you know, you need to keep working or, you know, everybody wants to retire early and, well, it could be work out great. 
If you, you, you know, just got to figure out how to, and what kind of lifestyle you're going to have. You got to, you can work out, you can retire early. Wall Street's fear index. Remember, I was going to talk about it yesterday. I didn't get around to it, and I want to talk about it today. And don't be afraid of bonds just because yield, you know, is rising, just because interest rates are rising. Don't be afraid of them. I got some information that maybe give you some comfort. Now, being a you know being a bond investor is, you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't want to take the full risk of the stock market, and that's totally understandable. But many people are shying away from bonds. They're saying, oh, they're too risky because interest rates are rising and the value goes down. Well, what 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 will that actually do to the value of the bond you have? What does it actually do? We're going to talk about that. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, 888 992 Okay, let's go to Jerry in Pittsburgh. Hi, Jerry. Uh, what I'd like to ask is your philosophy on managing a uh, 401k account okay. that all your choices are either mutual funds, index funds, or bonds. Right. How to best manage. Good question. For all you 401k people out there, you are in charge of running your own money and you probably need some help. One of the things I would suggest right now is stay away from the bond funds in those 401ks. That means no bond funds and that means no mixed funds or no balanced funds if they have bonds. Most balanced funds are stocks and bonds. If interest rates are going to rise, your bond fund portion of your portfolio will suffer. Yes, you'll get a nice dividend of 3 4%, whatever it is, 5%, I don't know. The net asset value may go down 5 10 15%. What good is the 3 and 4% of the whole thing? When the interest rates are rising, that's where you stay away from bonds. You should probably move Gravitate, if in your 401k, over to more of the mid-cap value, small-cap value, large-cap value. The value side of the market versus the growth side is where I would be more comfortable in, if you have those choices. And don't hesitate to have a little bit in international. Okay. Okay? Thanks a lot. Let's go to Gary in San Jose. How are you doing, Gary? Well, I have a question on uh, gold reserves of uh, foreign countries that are in sovereign debt. Okay. And if they start selling their gold to get out of their debt, what would that do to the market of gold? Well, of course, it depends on how big their gold reserve is, Gary. I mean, if it's huge, it would definitely put a huge downward pressure on the gold price. But most likely, if you're talking about a normal country or average size country, it won't probably do much to the gold price. It probably won't because they have, what they'll do, Gary, is they'll hide the fact that they're selling it. You won't know until after the fact. You know, because they also yeah, hide, I, the, hide the fact that they're buying it. You know, China does, India does, everybody sure. does. I've never heard anyone talk about uh, the sovereign debt in relationship to their gold reserves. Yeah, most of the time because they hold on to the gold reserves because it's worth something. They usually don't talk about it because they don't usually sell it. And if they did, it would be a function of their uh, Federal Reserve, whatever they would call theirs in their country. And that would be a secret kind of behind-the-scenes thing going on to gather some money. Then they would announce it to us, and we would even never know about it. I listen to your show every day. Well, I appreciate that, Gary. Thanks for the call. I really do appreciate it. Thank and, you. And keep up the good work. Thank you. Let's go to Margaret in San Francisco. How are you doing, Margaret? Hi. 
I wanted to know about ETFs. I heard that they are better than mutual fund except for the mineral one. And I don't know how to critique them or find out the best ones because I'm holding very, very old mutual funds and a lot of stocks that uh, many are stable, but they're not making me any money because I paid so much money back in 99. Ah. Okay, the difference between ETFs and mutual funds, this is the basic difference. ETFs usually follows a slice of the market. It could follow the S&P 500. It can follow oil companies. It can follow any kind of slice of the market. But their ETFs market are not managed by a manager like a mutual fund is. They're dumb. They just follow an index. They follow an industry. You know, they don't trade and they just hold it. You have to know when to get in and out of that ETF. That's the main difference between an ETF and a mutual fund. Mutual fund is the manager. He's supposed to be picking stocks and selling them and do the right things. That's the difference. I like ETFs. They act like stocks. You can buy and sell them like stocks and you get instant diversification, but you still need to know what you're buying and when to get in, when to get out. Margaret, thanks for the call. Okay, here's an investing term you should know. What is a tangible asset? Kind of easy, I think. Tangible assets are those that have a physical substance, such as currencies, buildings, real estate, vehicles, inventories, equipment, jewelry, precious metals of any kind, rare earth metals, industrial metals, crops. Those are tangible assets, those things you can feel and see. Now you can see detailed investment term definitions from our friends at Investopedia. They have them all there. I do like them a lot. Is there a way to invest in real estate without investing in real estate? Sure there is. Real Estate Investment Trust, REITs. Do you have any questions about REITs? We're here to help you. You can ask on our anytime number. It's 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. So, is gold a safe environment? I mean, investment. Is gold a safe investment for you? And the answer is not just a simple yes or no. You can't answer it really that way. Remember, gold is a physical commodity physical commodities, subject to supply and demand. And the gold, the value often changes quickly, goes up and down very fast sometimes. Sometimes it just sits there for years. It can sit there and do very little. And gold prices generally move uh, at different, in a different way than stock prices. Usually going, if the stock prices go down, gold will go up. So you have the drivers of gold being supply and demand, okay? Uh, and you have other drivers as well. Remember, 50% of gold demand out there, 50% is jewelry, 50%. 40% of the demand comes from investments by individuals and central banks. That includes, I'm talking about gold coins and bullion, metal, gold bars, and then, uh, then you have a, a, some more, remember that's 90% of it right there, then ETFs, they have, there's demand coming from exchange-traded funds. So that 50% of it is in jewelry. 
That's why India India is a big user of gold because gold is the normal gift to give at weddings. Gold. So there's high demand coming from there. And every ounce of gold ever dug out of the earth is still around. It doesn't disappear. It's not used up. And if you want to increase the supply, you have to dig it up. Unlike a currency where you can just print it. So supply and demand is the main driver. And it can be volatile. Don't think it can't. It can be volatile. And it's also, you have to say, it's fairly risky. Now, being risky doesn't mean it's all bad. You want volatility. You want risk because you want it to go in a different direction at different times than the other assets that you own, the other stocks in your portfolio. So you, you, it's, it's a good way to diversify a portfolio. Very good way to do it. Because gold does also hold its value. Think, though it could be volatile. So in a portfolio, it could be a very stabilizing force. If the stock price, stock market all in, in, in general goes down, gold won't do that necessarily. So I do think, I'm not a big gold person, but I do think there is a place for it, uh, but not just do not bet the farm because it's not wise. Long term, Stocks do much better than gold. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. Now let's get back to answering our questions. Uh, there's a 24-hour question someone left, and here it is, 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is John from Martinez. I just set up an IRA and it's kind of dedicated toward the mixture of index funds. I was wondering, is it better to invest in the IRAs monthly or annually if you're going into index funds? Because I know that with you know dollar cost averaging, you're going to get a mixture of a better price. So in terms of uh, what you're investing at. So I was curious um, if you think it's better to invest monthly or annually in your IRAs. Thanks. Bye. Monthly. I would choose monthly uh, simply because you, as you pointed out, your dollar cost averaging over a year. If you buy, buy it just one time at one, in the year, you could do that, but if I would pick the time, if I would pick the time, it would probably be late summer. But I think it's smarter to dollar cost averaging over 12 months. I think it's smarter. And just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Uh, dollar cost averaging, everybody, is a system where you buy the same amount of an investment at periodic times and you stick with those periodic times. The hardest time to keep doing it is when the market falls. And that's exactly when you should do it more. Okay? But most people can't do that because they see their portfolios going down, 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 and they're putting more money in it, more money in it. It's going down, down, down. And that new money you're putting in, that's getting worth less and less and less. So you feel like you're just losing money. That's all you're doing, just losing money. When actually your thinking should be switched and you should say, hey, I'm buying stuff at a more discount every month. That's great. But it's hard to think in those terms. 
because you are losing value. But if you're a long-term investor, it all will come back. Always has. Think think about every the most recent crashes we has with the dot com and the financial crisis. Did the market come back? Came back both times. So don't think longer term. Longer term, much better. So what's coming up next on the next invest talk? There has been some talk recently in some quarters about the potential return of real estate bubble. Do you think we are in that? So we'll explore that concept on what bubble? Is there a rest of a bubble? No. What bubble is there? What bubble? And we'll run down the seven reasons to buy a house now. Why should you buy now? However, at the moment, Invest Talk rolls on, and I'm here to answer your questions on any money topic. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Our Invest Talk podcast continues. One of KPP Financial's solutions that help solve today's retirement puzzle is our balanced income portfolio. How do you get the income you need in retirement without the kind of risk that you don't feel comfortable with? That's what this program is all about, the balanced income portfolio from KPP Financial. And remember, as with each KPP program, the principles at KPP are invested right along with you. Would you like to know more about it, the balanced income portfolio? You can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts, or you can ask Steve about it directly. Just click on the Contact Steve button on investtalk.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 We're going to talk to John in Fremont. How are you doing, John? I'm doing good, John, uh, Steve. Have a question on uh, 401k. Uh, so sure. I'm new to 401k, but this company that I just joined recently have um, told us that by being with the company um, after 90 months or so, uh, I can enroll myself in 401k, and they said they will match up to 50% of what I put in. Um, so right. what does that mean? Can you explain more about 401k, what it is, and what does it mean by 50% sure. match? Sure, sure. Uh, four. Okay. 401ks are, are uh, uh, savings account uh, established by employers, and a 401k is a private established by a private employer, a private company. Because you also have 403bs and 457s, those are different numbers, but those are either government jobs or or nonprofit companies. 401k is means you're working for a profit company, and the company can choose two. Match your contributions or not. Okay, they can choose to or not to. If they choose to, they will match every employer's, every employee's uh, uh, contributions. Now, they can do it at any level, John. They can say, we'll match it 100%. You put in a dollar, we'll put in a dollar. Or, more common is, you put in a certain percentage and we'll match it this much. Like, if you put in 5%, we'll put in 4%. If you put in 2%, we'll put in 1%. 
they have graduations, and then they limit the top. Many of them will limit it at 4%, but they can make it a limit at 2 They can make it a limit. They can match one for one up to 10%, and then nothing after that. They have the choice. So your company has decided to match it. Did you say 2% if you put in 4%? No, no, no. They said they were going to match up to fifty percent, but they didn't really say these percentages, though. Okay, so they'll match up to fifty percent what you put in. Correct. That's very generous, because what if you put in the maximum? The maximum you can put in a four k four one k in a year is eighteen thousand dollars. That means you can put in eighteen thousand, and they can put in nine. That's oh. a lot of free money. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so the max. See, most of. Yeah, that's the law. That's not up to the companies. That's the law. Okay. But if they say they'll match fifty percent of whatever you put in, they're agreeing to go up to nine thousand dollars. That's great. That's unusual, John. That's that's generous. Yep. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank. Thanks for the call, John. Appreciate it. You gotta to talk to your personnel department. They'll give you documents about all this, and so make sure what they said is true. Okay, let's go to Brandon in Los Angeles. How you doing, Brandon? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for everything you guys do. I love the advice. Um, Thank I had you. a question actually about the U.S. dollar and the Thai bot. I was wondering if you guys do give advice on currencies and just with what's going on with Iran and oil and uh, Thai economy around exports. I was just wondering if you guys would think right now is a good time to okay. buy some Thai bot. Now, I don't know much about Thailand, and that's what a Thai, the Thai bot comes from. Um, and I can't tell you that they're going to do well. I can tell you that the dollar has been weakening for the last couple of years against other currencies. But I'm not sure if it's against the Thai bot specifically. But I know with the Thailand is an emerging market. I know that emerging markets have been doing very well. So if you bought things in the, with using that Thai currency, uh, stocks or whatever in Thailand, or just the bot, the currency, the odds are good that that currency will get stronger against the dollar over the years. Why? Because the U.S. economy may be doing well, but we're in deep, deep debt, huge amount of debt. And no one's paying attention to it much, Brandon, right now. No one. No one's even talking about it. You ever notice? No one's talking about our debt level. But it yeah. is going to come by, come at some point, it's going to bite us. It's going to bite us hard. And then foreign currencies will probably do better when that does happen. That's my opinion, anyways. Okay, Brandon? Sorry, All I don't right, know a lot so about the Thai bod. Thank you for the call. I just don't know a lot about currencies that. That you know the smaller currencies, they just don't because we don't trade in those. Okay, don't be afraid of bonds though, just because interest rates are rising. Don't be afraid of them. I'll give an example. This is why. Okay, everybody knows what the ten-year Treasury is, right? The U.S. government Treasury. Okay, it it pay it went from two point two percent a year ago to three point oh five. That's a pretty big jump in yield. Therefore, that we would think that would push down the value. And the three-month uh, 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 bill of note went from 0.9% to 
to 1.9%. That's a double in interest rates because the Federal Reserve is raising rates, right? So in the last 12 months, that's how much those things have moved. So what has the bond total aggregate of all the bonds, how much did it go down because of those things rising up? Remember, those, that increase in the 10 years is about a 50% increase, and it's over double for the, the shorter-term bonds, U.S. dollar. So it's a 100% increase. So how much did it affect bonds going down in the last year? Well, the aggregate bond market went down 0.85%. The intermediate T bond, treasury bond, went down 3%. The long-term treasury bond went down half a percent. So try to remember, (laughs) even though interest rates have been rising and they're going up, it doesn't crush the bonds. It just makes them worth less. So don't be so paranoid about a rising interest rate and buying some bonds. I like to buy bonds at par or near par and to hold them to maturity and get them and get par back and then collect the interest rate along the way. I don't care what the value is during the years that I have the bond because I know I'm gonna, I know it's going to go back to par and I'll get my money back. Buy at par, it goes back to par and you collect the yield. But if you have, you have to realize that if interest rates go down during that period, the value of that bond during the middle part of that bond, depending on how long it is, uh, it will go down in value. But it also always returns to par. So don't panic about interest rates rising. Oh, I can't invest in bonds. I'm not a, you know, I have a program where we buy bonds and a program where, where it's 100% bonds and a program that's 50% bonds and 50% high dividend paying stocks. And they hold the, yeah, the value of the portfolio goes down because of the bonds, interest rates are rising. But we go back to par. You're still collecting your yields, and it's going back to par when it matures. You're not losing anything. Try not to freak out about rising interest rates when it comes to bonds. Now, I'm not a big fan of bond funds or bond ETS because of the net asset value, and that's a whole nother discussion, <laughs> okay? But I, I just want to point out, don't be afraid of bonds. It's not a, just because interest rates are rising. As long as they don't spike up, but they rise slowly, you can easily handle it. Okay? And still make money. Okay? Now, uh, the, the VIX. There seems to be some problems with the structural, structurally with the VIX, the volatility index. And I want to talk about that before the end of the show. Now, if you get some value out of the Invest Talk, out of this show, why not? Tell a friend. InvestTalk is ready source for answers. As you know, people call in. We try to give them money answers, okay? Whether it's investing in the stock market or trying to figure out fees or expenses for mutual funds, give us a call. 888-99-CHART. And if you call weekdays between 4 and 5 Pacific time, you can have a live conversation. I'm live 4 to 5, Monday through Friday. The question of risk tolerance is one you need to confront before you can design an effective and appropriate investment plan for yourself. If you'd like a second opinion, then why not reserve an hour to talk about it? Steve provides retirement reviews for a limited number of our listeners. You can do it in person or via phone or a system like Skype. To reserve your time, just go to investtalk.com. 
Investmentsgroup.com and click on the Investments tab. Let's go to Lisa in San Francisco. How are you doing, Lisa? Very well, thank you. What can I do for you? I am calling because at the moment, my husband and I have a mutual fund, and all of it, all of our investments are in the stock market. Okay. And we want to go into a safer mode. Okay. And we're looking into another mutual fund that has bonds. However, my concern, it will be a, more a bond fund. My concern is what is going on in the market, saying that the government is not solid enough, and so having my concern is those bonds and the treasuries. It's usually most of it. What we're looking at is into treasuries. Okay. Am I moving my money? Are bonds risky? I mean, corporate bonds could be because it depends on the corporation. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about U.S. bonds. Okay, that's a good question, Lisa. The bonds itself, the, the U.S. Treasury bonds themselves are not risky, but a bond fund is risky. Yeah. When you buy a bond directly from the U.S. government, you get the bond, you hold it to maturity, so you get your interest and you get your money back, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in a bond fund, they buy all kinds of bonds in there. Okay, Okay. and they have different maturity dates because they buy some today and then they buy some tomorrow, next week, the week, on and on and on. So what happens in a bond fund, they have bonds maturing all the time and they reinvest the money, right? Uh So if interest rates right now are 4%, you're going to get 4% about a yield on your bond fund. But if interest rates go up to, let's say, 8%, the old bonds are paying 4%, go down in value, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you can buy a new one for eight. Those old ones, I'm not going to buy those unless you give me a big discount on them to give me an ultimate 8% return because they're so cheap. So what happened is the bond fund value, the net asset value, you know what you what the bond fund is worth, goes mm-hmm. down when interest rates go up, even though you still get the yield, you get the payment of the dividend, Okay. So if interest rates start to rise over next week, next month, next year, two years, three years, the value of your bond fund therefore and will go down. Therefore, the money you put in will go less, get less and less and less. But you'll still get your dividend yield. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Very good question. Let's go to Natalie. Nat- no, Natalie. Is it Natalie? Hi, Natalie. How you doing? Hey, good. How you Actually, doing, Natalie? Fine. I'm, do- I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for the call. Um, yeah, so I have a nine-month-old daughter. Um, I have a 529 plan that we're putting money into um, about once a month or maybe every other month. Um, I was wondering what other okay. ways would you recommend to invest uh, for our daughter um, other than the 529 plan? Um, and it doesn't have to be college-specific since we have the 529 plan, but I was curious, like, you know, maybe – for her first car, or any other investments, what would you recommend? Well, you could do an ATMA, which is a Uniform Gift to Minors Act account, in which you open an account uh, in her name, actually, even at nine months, but you control it because you're the parent. And until she's 18, she doesn't even, she, it's not her money, but at 18, it becomes her money. You could do that kind of account, but there's no tax advantages in it, so... You know, there's no really need to do that. Uh, you can open up a Coverdale, but that's for education too, and you already have a 529 
Uh, and everybody else, so 529 is for uh, is money you can put aside and grow tax-free for college for your children or your grandchildren or your neighbor's children, for that matter. Um, Natalia, there's, not, there's just not a lot of other things you can do other than the 529 for a, 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 a young child. There isn't. Okay. Okay, okay so, how about like a regular Sorry about that. You can open up a regular brokerage account, but you can only do it in your own name. You can't do it in a child's name because she can't sign things or she's too young. You know what I'm saying? So how would I so transfer, if I were can't, to open a brokerage account under my name, how would I transfer the money to her once she's 18 or for first purchase of a car or anything else? Okay, at, 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 uh, at her age of majority, at 18, you can give away to your children or to anybody uh, $12,500 per year without any tax consequences for that person. So you can give that money to her at 18 if it's, you know, at 12500 for her to go buy a car. And when she turns 19, you give another 12500 to her. And there'll be, she doesn't have to declare it at ta- on taxes or anything. It's just a gift. Okay, how about like a purchasing a car? That would not be considered giving money. So that would be al- uh, no. allowed. Is that correct? That's correct. You can buy a car for her. And you'll probably leave it in your name, I'm assuming, you know, and the reason why you'd want to leave it in your name is because the insurance would probably be cheaper. Yeah, that's correct. Because okay. insurance is expensive for young young people. Thanks for the call. I appreciate gotcha. it. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. If you've been saving your money, if you've been saving your money question, now's the time to get in, everybody. We're coming up on the final segment of the show, 888-99-CHART. You can get through right now. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 CHART, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 992 4278. Okay, the VIX. We've had some problems with the VIX. The VIX is. Uh, not tracking, I, I, I know I mentioned this yesterday, not tracking uh, the vol- volatility of the puts and calls like it's supposed to. As a matter of fact, it's under investigation by the SEC for manipulation, possible manipulation. So there's a problem with the VIX. So when you're thinking, of, when you're thinking about investing in one of the uh, derivatives of the VIX, one of the ETFs, please don't. Stay away from it. Also, retiring early. You know, there's nothing wrong with retiring early. That's a goal for a lot of people. But a lot of other people and experts say that it could be detrimental to your mental health because you have nothing to do. You have no purpose. Well, that's not necessarily so. There are there, there have been some studies that people are content, perfectly content not working like everybody else, nine to five, five to seven days a week, every day. Instead of that, that there's been studies showing that young, younger retirees, 35 to 45 years old, are just as happy and content, but there are things you have to give up. Your lifestyle has to be really curtailed. 
that doesn't mean you're poor, you're, 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 you just have a very low, uh, a low overhead lifestyle, and you have to be content with that. And that's the, that's the focus of the whole thing, was contentment in that kind of lifestyle, and you can be very happy retiring early. Just that your lifestyle has to be simple. Let's go to David in Chula Vista. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I got a question about a local company, the ServiceNow, that's going to be going public soon. Uh-huh. I like what the company does. Haven't uh, got a chance to dive into fundamentals yet. But how long would you generally wait before starting to get involved with something like this? If a company comes out IPO, trying to buy it on the first day is very, very difficult, Dave. Because, you know, that many times if the IPO market's hot, it comes out, they say, well, it's going to be $14 a share, and the first trade is 18 Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. You and I can't get it at 14 You know, and we're buying it for, from the people who got it at 14 They're selling to us at 18 They've already made a huge profit, and they're out. So, yeah, and then I'm stuck with it at a high point. Exactly. So that's why I tell people, stay away from it. Usually, wait till six months. And this is why, David. After six months, the insiders are now allowed to sell some shares. They are precluded from doing that for about six months. In other words, they have to hold on. The insiders have to hold on to the shares for about six months. Oh, okay. So what you see after about six months, generally speaking, starting a little bit before six months, is the stock starts trading down back close to its IPO price very often. Very okay, often. that makes sense. I'll, I'll sit tight and then take a look then. Yeah, just keep watching. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to David in San Francisco. How are you doing, David? I'm great. Thank you. I had a question about which brokers do you put your trades through and why, and which program platforms on the PC or Mac you trade on a daily basis and why? I'm going to be a little bit different from you because I'm a professional. You know, I don't go through brokers because a broker is someone who puts the order in and buys and sells the stock for you. We do our own trading. So we have a platform that, you know, level two platform that goes directly to the floor. And we do our own trading. So we don't go through brokers. It's much like if you got to E-Trade or, you know, Scott Trade or something like that, where you put your own trades in. I do too for my clients. Those people are not brokers. Those are custodians and those are clearing houses. Broker is somebody like, you know, you go to Merrill Lynch or somebody and you put in an order. So we don't use that. The platforms that we use to make our trades, yeah, I think we're on the custodian platforms of the custodian of our client's money provides a platform of their own. It's a little different than yours. Which platform or broker or slash custodian you suggest us I really like TradeStation. Have you seen TradeStation? They're out of Florida. They provide a very neat level two platform for people like you and me. You know, just a regular trader, a guy. E-Trade's good and the others are pretty comparable, but I like TradeStation probably a little bit. I think it's a little bit better than the rest. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the call. Time to end the hour, everybody. Reminder, I will be in San Jose next month for individual retirement reviews. To set up a time, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Invest Talk tab, then Portfolio Review. The day for San Jose is June 6th, June 6th. Save your time that day, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Invest Talk tab. 
I'm financial advisor Steve Peasley. Justin and I uh, thank you for making us part of your day. And we'll do it again tomorrow, Thursday. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.